Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to my December edition of the Construction Webinar Series. Uh, my name is Tashia Rasool. I am a partner here at Lois Law Firm. I also oversee the construction defense practice here. Um, as you know, we represent uh, employers and uh, insurance carriers in uh, the defense workers' compensation claims in New York. And my focus and my team's focus is solely on construction claims. Uh, at this point, we consider ourselves the expert in construction claims, workers' compensation claims. Um, so if you ever have any questions, you know where to uh, find me. Now, it's December. Happy holidays. I hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving. We're just going to wrap this year up. Um, I have some takeaways, uh, some case law that I want to talk about, some trends that we've been seeing that I want to go through today. So the two main things I'm going to focus on are the takeaways from construction uh, workers' compensation claims that my office, my, my team handled this year, and also talk about some trends and decisions at the board level, which I think is very crucial because we haven't had too many uh, third department appeals come out this year that focus on unique construction um, uh, claims. So let's get right into it. Oh. I almost forgot to mention, at the end, there will be a live Q&A, and you can type your questions into this box, and I will provide a response. If we're out of time, I will be sure to email you a response. Okay, so let's do a quick recap. As you know, if you've been following me along for the past two years, I've been doing this construction webinar series because after working on these claims for so long, I've realized that there are so many issues that are unique to the construction claims, the construction accidents, the construction compliance. Um, and the goal that we focus on here at Lois Law Firm is collaboration between the workers' compensation and the general liability claims. And this is something I've been talking about every month. I find a different topic of interest, and um, I also take uh, queries from uh, you, my faithful listeners, on issues that pertain to these construction claims, and I try to address them every month. Um, so the result that we're trying to achieve with the collaboration between uh, workers' compensation and general liability defense is reduced exposure, right? That's really the bottom line. And why are we doing this? Construction claims are so costly. They're perhaps the most costly claims in New York State, New York City. And quite frankly, the claimants are milking the system, right? They're milking the workers' comp system and the GL side of it also. The labor laws are very claimant friendly. And without any collaboration between the workers' comp and uh, general liability, especially in situations where there's a wrap-up program, um, the client, the, the employer, the, uh, the insurance carrier can face significant uh, liability because of the types of claims that are usually uh, being made by the claimants, um, that is catastrophic claims, which I'll talk a little bit uh, about today also. Um, claimants usually claim that all uh, injuries that arise out of a construction accident are catastrophic, but I'll tell you, we've been able to confine claims to just a pinky finger by doing the right things and collaborating well with General Liability Defense Council. So over the year, these are the things I've been focusing on. I've been given like real life uh, practical um, examples and uh, things that we've seen from our handling of the files. 
And now I just want to go through some trends and themes that I've seen and also some notable case law that we have um, uh, obtained or have been instrumental in, in um, having obtained at the board panel level as well as a third department level this year. All right, so <clears throat> we've, we've seen that there was continued recognition, board recognition of evidence obtained on the GL side. Now, a year ago, when I first did um, a year-end wrap-up for the webinar series, I talked about how the board was now starting to recognize um, that the evidence on the general liability side can really help us out in the workers' comp claim. And such evidence includes uh, deposition transcripts, 50H transcripts, uh, any kind of expert reports that um, can be produced uh, within all of the uh, rules and regulations and restrictions as long as they're releases. We've been able to provide those, uh, produce those on the workers' comp side and in order to present our case to the, the law judge, right? One of the issues that we've been facing is that the claimants go in and they testify in the workers' comp claim. We're not allowed extensive testimony. The judges are always rushing to uh, end the testimony, claiming that there's not enough time. And so the, it's, it's usually rushed. We, uh, a lot of things are outside the scope of the workers' comp claim. However, on the general liability side, we've seen claimants testify a length regarding the accident, uh, the injuries they sustain, whatever they're claiming. And in a significant number of times, we've seen discrepancies in what they're telling us on the comp side and on the general liability side also. We've been able to use those in a grand number of cases to dispute additional body parts, to even dispute that an accident occurred, right? Um, because of, of the mechanism of injury that was told in the workers' comp side versus on the general liability side. And one of our goals this year was to push this evidence on the law judges. Generally, no one, the board doesn't want to read more transcripts and, you know, take into consideration more evidence, but we've been instrumental in having them understand or, or trying to understand how construction claims work and what exactly the claimant's doing in the workers' comp claim that's driving uh, the general liability side, all right? So I would say my recommendation would be to continue to share this information, share the evidence with your um, workers' comp attorney, workers' comp adjuster, ensure everyone's on the same page, and make sure the information's being used. Sharing it alone doesn't really help. It actually has to be used to be beneficial to the client. The board is actually paying attention to facts. I know, kind of strange, right, for me to be saying this. Um, but when I first started handling these construction claims, I'll tell you, the judges and the board panel, eh, they were handling them and, and reviewing them like, any run-of-the-mill workers' comp claim. They weren't paying attention to uh, specifics about the job site, specifics about the kind of work that's being done, the trade that the claimants in, the unions, and so forth. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing is, um, after collaboration with General Liability Council, is presenting very detailed descriptions about everything surrounding the accident, right, or the alleged accident. And how do we get this? We get this from the initial investigation that's usually key in the construction claims. And we've actually seen the results. This year, um, we've seen more judges rule in our favor in terms of disallowing claims, in terms of disallowing body parts, um, taking into consideration prior claims and uh, injuries. And um, 
We've also seen on appeal the board panel overturning some of the judge's decisions that clearly didn't take all of the evidence into consideration. So once again, I, I, I hope I don't jinx this, but we have seen better results from the board in um, our construction claims this year. I think the key really is to for your attorneys to continue presenting very uh, complete um, defenses to the board and constantly requesting the opportunity and reminding the judge that we do have the right to fully litigate the issues. <clears throat> Collaboration between workers' comp and general liability really continues to win the day for settlements. Um, I've done a number of mediations this year where the settlement demands on the general liability side were millions of dollars and settlement was for, final settlement was for a million dollar or less. And really that's what the cases are truly worth sometimes. In my opinion, they don't even worth a few hundred thousand dollars that we're finally settling for. But at the end of the day, we're getting rid of the cases. Um, I've sat through a lot of mediations where the claimants, uh, workers' comp attorney is also present and making all, sor all sorts of false assertions or allegations about what's going on in the workers' comp claim. And I, as the workers' comp uh, defense attorney, have been able to straighten out some of those issues, in fact, which led to better negotiation um, by the GL uh, counterparts. So collaboration, I believe, is very key. You should have a meeting or a couple of meetings before the mediation. Uh, whenever you have a mediation date, you should be getting an update in the workers' comp claim, and everyone really should be on the same page at the time of mediation. All right, so two issues that have been really rampant this year in construction claims. We have a lot of cases where we've seen these issues and we've learned that the board doesn't really know how to consistently make decisions on the same issue. And we are lacking a lot of appeal from the third department, the appellate division. So this year we've been making case law, at least at the board panel level. One of the things that we, one of the issues that we see a lot in these construction claims are um, occupational disease claims, occupational injuries, repetitive injuries uh, for these Claimants who have been plumbers or laborers or iron workers for so many years, they're now claiming um, uh, repetitive injuries to their elbows and shoulders and knees and so forth. And the issue that has to be litigated is who, which, which employer is liable for their injuries and which carrier is liable for their injuries. Now, I've sat through a, a lot of trials this year and my team has sat through a lot of trials this year where we're hearing the claimant's attorneys are making all of these bizarre arguments about which employer should be liable. And I'm also hearing my uh, fellow defense attorneys making all sorts of crazy arguments about section 44. So I just wanted to make this clear because we've also seen some inconsistent decisions from the board in the past. Under section 44, the last employer that employed the claimant in the occupation that led to, or that in, in which the, the injury was culminated, uh, should be liable for the claim. However, the date of disablement can be set at a date prior. But which insurance carrier is really liable for this? <clears throat> There's been arguments that the insurance carrier and the date of disablement for the employer that the claimant was working on and the date of disablement should be liable. However, that is not the correct interpretation of section 44 and it's not the way the board panel 
has been interpreting it and the third department has been interpreting it also. Last employer, John Smith Consulting, contracting, uh, is where the claimant last worked and that's the employer that would be liable. However, it is the carrier and risk and the date of disablement for that employer that's the one that's liable. We've had at least 10 cases in the past six months. We've gotten favorable results uh, making these arguments. We've had a number of them come back down from appeal with the board panel saying, you guys really need to resolve um, the issue of who the carrier was and the date of disablement. As you can say, the claimant last worked for John Smith Consulting and that employer is liable, yet find the employer and the date of disablement uh, date of disablement also be liable. The arguments just don't make sense. We see these a lot in the construction claims because they, the claimants are union workers, right? They've been doing this 20, 30, some of them 40 years, and they're now going out in retirement and they just want to get their SLU. So the reason I bring up this is because of the prevalence and the board is finally uh, being consistent in the arguments. However, if you let your defense counsel go in there and make the arguments that are inconsistent with the law, you're going to find yourself uh, probably be, being stuck with a claim when you shouldn't be stuck with a claim or not making the proper arguments on appeal. So if you have one of these issues, take a step back, um, have a conversation with your defense counsel. If it's one that my team's handling, feel free to call us. But I think they should be litigated. They should always be litigated. Never agree to um, pay out on the claim just because the claimant last worked for your insured. The other issue, also kind of a coverage issue that we've seen this year, and there's really no uh, third department authority for this, is wrap-ups versus operational and when the accident occurs off the job site. Last year, I reported a very big win that my firm had where the claimant was injured off the job site during a, an authorized coffee break and they filed a claim against the wrap-up. We argue that because the accident occurred off the job site, uh, outside the scope of the wrap-up, which literally covers four corners of the block, um, the operational policy should be found to be liable. The law judge agreed and the board panel affirmed that decision. This year, we had a, a very similar uh, decision where um, a very similar case where, <clears throat> excuse me, the claimant was assigned to work on a job site and um, because the accident occurred at, uh, off of the job site, the law judge found that the wrap-up policy was not liable. I'll go into that one a little more. Um, before I do though, this, the, the, the big coverage issue for us this year was in the matter of um, Pizarski versus Acrid Plumbing and Heating. This was a plumbing company. Um, this was an appeal that was taken to the third department by my office. The issue was the date of disablement and whether our client, the insurance carrier, was responsible as the employer allegedly was out of business on the date of disablement. That was the issue that was taken to the third department. Um, the famous case on, on this issue is the matter of Camarada, which, uh, which the court has held that if the employer is no longer in business on the date of disablement, then coverage reverts to the last um, insurance carrier, the last carrier. In this particular case though, 
The board, um, I'm sorry, the, the, the court actually distinguished the facts in this case against Camerata and said that the, um, the business status, whether it was active or not on the date of disablement, was not determined at the trial level. And therefore, finding that the insurance carrier, the last carrier that it was reverted to, is liable was improper. So the matter was returned to the board level. We just did the trial two weeks ago, actually, and the law judge ultimately found that based on the evidence that was produced, the employer was on business on the date of loss and was required to have workers' compensation insurance, but did not have workers' compensation insurance. This case law is going to be important going forward for your construction claims, for employers, the small mom and pop uh, um, uh, contractors who go out of business, and then you ultimately have an occupational injury claim that's being filed. We have to pay attention to whether the employer was, was in business on the date of loss. That's key, and that's what the board used. So in this particular case in Pizarski, the law judge ultimately found that the UEF was um, is liable for the claim, and my client, the insurance carrier, was able to submit um, a request for reimbursement of the almost half a million dollars that they paid out in SLUs and other indemnity benefits to the claimant. So keep an eye out for your occupational injury, uh, occupational injury claims and um, date of disablement, and this is a case that you should be citing to in addition to the matter of camarada. <clears throat> All right, next, uh, the, the next um, appellate division case that came out this year that pertains to construction claims was one dealing with uh, collateral estoppel. <clears throat> one of the things I focused on earlier this year is collateral estoppel is a benefit of collaboration between workers' compensation and general liability claims. The reason is decisions made in the workers' comp claim can be used to um, prevents a claim in uh, the general liability side, right? Essentially, the claimant is, is stopped from bringing uh, that same issue to be litigated on the civil side. So in this case, uh, Lennon versus uh, 56th and Park owner, the, the court really took its time to delve into the purpose of collateral estoppel and the factors that need to be met for collateral estoppel to apply. While there were some procedural issues and um, the defendant was raising collateral estoppel in a summary judgment motion, that was only part of the decision. But the court ultimately ruled that the issue that was, be, that was brought before the court was whether the claim, um, whether there was an accident, there was a work-related accident, right? So an accident arising out of the course of work. Because obviously, if there isn't, there can't be a civil claim um, based on a work-related accident. And the, the, the court found that the issue was similar. We're talking about the accident and whether it actually occurred and it was work-related. So the first prong of collateral estoppel was uh, satisfied. And then the second issue was whether uh, the, the Workers' Compensation Board actually made a final determination of the issue. And then the third prong is whether the claimant had a full and fair opportunity to uh, litigate the issue. The court ruled yes on all of these. Um, the issue was the same because in the general liability side, they were trying to figure out if there was even a work-related accident. 
The second prong is the board actually made a decision that there was no work-related accident. And the third prong with regards to whether the claimant had the, uh, a full opportunity, the court noted that the claimant was represented, he testified, uh, employer witnesses were produced, he had the opportunity to cross-examine those witnesses, and there were summation arguments made before the board, the law judge actually made a decision. So the claimant had a full and fair opportunity to litigate his, um, his claim. Because all of these were met, the, uh, the, the court found that collateral estoppel applied and the claimant could not uh, pursue his general liability claim and the defendants won in a summary judgment motion. Now, why is this a big case? Because this is one of the legal issues that I've been harping on as it pertains to why we need to collaborate with general liability and why it's important to really work up your workers' compensation claim. Let me remind you, we're not handling these workers' comp claims as another administrative claim. We're handling them as a fully litigated, real legal case, all right? Your attorneys should be reviewing all of the facts, setting forth all of the defenses, and really uh, participating or requesting uh, participation in all sort in, in all of the phases of uh, legal defense, which includes taking testimony, depositions, getting medical experts, uh, doing trials. Let's not agree to things because if we agree to certain things, or if we agree as to who the proper employer is or the established body parts that would not be a final determination by the board and it could pose issues on the general liability side of it. So we need to approach these workers' comp claims in a manner that will protect you on the general liability side. The findings are going to have an impact on the general liability side. You have 10 body parts established in your workers' comp claim, guess what? That increases the value of your general liability claim by millions of dollars. You just had a back surgery, um, uh, authorized or you agree to a back surgery on the workers' comp claim, that increases the value of your general liability claim. So I know a lot of times our adversaries say to us, well, you guys are litigating everything and denying everything. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that we have a client to protect. We have exposure to keep at a very, very low level. And while it may, while litigation may drag out the workers' comp claim, um, the benefits outweigh the um, the, the, the downsides to litigation or the downsides to an appeal or uh, downside to um, you know not raising a defense or something like that. So I recommend be sure to litigate all of the issues, make sure testimony is taken, make sure all of your ducks are lined up and make sure the judge actually makes a decision on issues that are very important and that could increase the cost of your claim as they would impact the general liability claim. All right, so I do want to talk about a couple of um, other decisions, uh, board panel decisions, and even trial level decisions that we got back this year. I'm not going to bore you with run-of-the-mill uh, workers' comp um, issues because uh, I just want to focus on the ones that, that mean something to us when handling these construction claims. So I started talking about this particular case in the matter of RM. It's a board panel decision where the claimant was assigned to work on a wrap-up project. He left the project and he was apparently going to another project to, do, to work on the second half of the day. On his way to the other project, he, was, um, he slipped and he fell. He filed a claim against the wrap-up policy, 
claiming that the accident occurred um, out of the course of employment because he was going from one project to the other. We argue that the wrap-up policy covers accidents that are only uh, within the four corners of the project and within the scope of the policy. We produced the policy, we had an underwriter testify with regards to the actual coverage terms, and ultimately the law judge found that the wrap-up policy cannot be liable and that the operational policy is liable because the accident did not occur on the job site. I know, I know. We tend to, there, there are a couple of outliers and we tend to, based on the law, um, want to accept claims, for example, those arising out of um, like a lawful or a legal coffee break or a lunchtime break, um, or if the claimant's commuting from one project to the other, from home to work. There are some gray areas, but oftentimes it's in favor of the claimant. But let me remind you, everyone, let's not take these claims at face value, especially when you're dealing with wrap-ups, especially in these construction claims where you know, a slip and fall where he broke his toe is going to ultimately turn into a traumatic brain injury claim. I see it all the time. Let's take a step back. Let's look at the policy, the policy terms. You need to, for every claim, whether it's accepted or whether you're contesting it, send the policy over to your attorneys so, attorneys, so they can review um, the, the, the coverage issues. Because even if it's accepted in the beginning, um, coverage is never waived. So you can raise your coverage defense at any time after your attorney reviews the policy, it's never too late, but ensure that when you're referring the case to your attorney, they have the policy. And make all of the arguments, all right? These wrap-up claims are very unique. The projects are unique, and there are several arguments that can be made as to why your policy should not be liable, but instead the employer's operational policy should be liable. This case was appealed and it was affirmed an appeal. We got the decision back last week, so we were very happy about that. And this is similar to the one I was mentioned earlier that we had last year where the claimant was injured during his authorized coffee break. So one a year, I feel like that's a lot for the board to address this issue because there's no third department or appellate division on the issue and there's actually no board panel decisions on the issue before this one, all right? So let's see what else we've got. Occupational disease and date of disablement uh, were up WCL section 44. I touched on this earlier. Um, let's pay attention to the last employer and the date of disablement. We've had a number of cases this year, a number of trials where we address, address this issue. And my feeling is the, the board is finally being consistent with their rulings in these cases. So if your employer, if you're insured, is the last one that the claimant worked for, it doesn't mean that you as the insurance carrier would be the liable carrier. Make sure your attorneys are making the right arguments. If you have any questions about them, feel free to reach out to me. I can definitely take a review of the facts and uh, provide some input as to your potential defense and arguments. All right, so I know that was quick, but I like I, like I said, I didn't want to like start talking about all sorts of workers' comp issues. I just wanted to focus on the ones that really reflect the um, the idea of collaboration between workers' comp and general liability, and how using that information can really uh, change the change the law for us. Um, one of the things that uh, I think is very important in this collaboration is initial investigation 
And I think that really sets the tone for your defense. And that's how we really wound up with some good results this year. I have seen a couple of little oopsies where, you know, um, the, the claim was reported late by the claimant, his fault. And um, we weren't able to get an investigator out there in time. The job site was pretty much uh, closed. It was The work was completed. Everything was removed. Um, that was no fault of, you know, us on the defense side, the client. It's just that the, the, the claimant didn't file his claim in a very timely manner. However, we were able to mitigate exposure in that claim. Why? Because of collaboration with General Liability Defense um, Council. They were able to provide us with a lot of information that we were no longer able to get on the workers' comp side. Um, so, you know, I, I all the things I've I've talked about this year, we've definitely seen them unfold. Um, we handle these cases. Each one is very unique. No two cases are the same. We never take the approach to any two cases, and I don't think you should also. And for those of you handling the wrap-up cases, they're very unique, um, they're very complex, and I think we do need to pay attention to all the details and continue to educate the board and the board panel about those also. Um, as for settlements, I highly recommend um, continued collaboration, mediation, try to close out both the workers' comp and general liability claims at the same time. It'll definitely save um, the insurance carrier and the client potentially millions of dollars. All right, so that's it. That's my wrap-up, my 2021 wrap-up. I am going to start a fresh new series in January, right here, January 3rd. Um, I hope you'll join me, continue to follow me, spread the word. Um, I would like a couple more followers for the new year. Um, hopefully next year will be a normal year. You all know what I'm talking about, no more pandemic and all that stuff. And for you, my clients who are watching me, I hope to see you in person next year at some event or a follow review or anything like that. All right, have a very happy holiday. Um, and now I'm going to take a quick look to see if there are any questions because there wasn't any a minute ago. Yep, none of them. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, one of them. A question just popped up. Uh, so I believe the question may have been cut off. Um, Mirage, if you can email me the full question, I will provide you with an answer. I'm sorry, I only have like the five, six words of the question here. All right, I don't see anything else. So again, thank you all and happy holidays. I'll see you in the new year. Take care.